Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. Off-season podcast, chilling, recording off a laptop mic tonight just because it's a relaxed day. We're kicking back. We're just relaxing. We appreciate our main man, Ryan, our senior draft analyst, back with us today. Looks like he's got his mic all set up. And it seems like his internet connection is like much, much better today. So that that's already a really positive sign. Yeah, no, happy to be back again, Eric. Love talking drafts. Uh, happy to be back with all the listeners as well. I am in a little bit better internet situation. I actually moved townhouses literally right next door to the previous townhouse I was in. So I am on different internet. So I'm glad to hear that it's doing a little bit better for us to share our thoughts on the draft and what's going on in football. So it should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Trey, we saw each other yesterday. Of course, a a day now removed from Russell Wilson getting traded to my beloved Denver Broncos and me having a nice little happy, like panic attack, but just like made my day good. And even now talking about Russell Wilson's my quarterback, I got a nice little smile on my face. How you doing, Trey? Doing all right. Okay. Gotcha. Trey had some very hot takes about soccer before we started. We'll save those for another day when perhaps Trey starts a soccer podcast, which I think he should do because I would listen to it. Um, But I'm just telling you right now, if you think Real Madrid's pretty good, get that junk out of Trey's face because he does not think they're that good. So... Yeah, that's definitely something to keep an eye out on. Uh, I have never, like, never really heard Trey that opinionated about anything, to be completely honest with you. But the kind of fire he bought before this podcast started was unmatched. So I just appreciate that from you, Trey. I want I want that same kind. I guess I never say anything. Donnie always gets on me. Ryan, you know this about saying, like, outlandish things about sports. But apparently on this podcast, I just don't say that much outlandish stuff because Trey never gets fat uh, as animated as he got over me saying Real Madrid is really good at soccer. Yeah, I guess you get to keep it together more than uh, than Donnie thinks. So credit to you, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Trey. I mean, is, is that the case? Like, I feel like I feel like you never disagree that much about my football takes, but I say one nice thing about Real Madrid and you're just like raring to go. Okay. There, there are a couple things that actually a lot of things in this world I'm really not passionate about. Like I really don't care. I live a life and I walk a fine line to where I just don't care about a lot of things, but the things that I do care about, I actually really care about. And if you like attack it in any some form or way, I'm going to get upset, obviously, or maybe not upset, but I'm going to have an opinion about it where I'm going to clap back, of course. So what you said before you came on here, obviously, is about one of the things that I care about deeply, deeply, and I care about it very, very much. So, yeah, when when you say something like that, like you said before we came on here, of course, I'm going to get a little bit animated. So, yeah, that's probably the situation with that. Okay, sounds good, Trey. All right, guys, we can't chit-chat much longer because I don't want this episode to go like an hour and a half, and it might, because we have a lot to talk about. There's been a ton of NFL news over the past few days, 
So um, I'm going to actually put us on a timer. It is 821 Mountain Time right now. I'm going to say by 853 Mountain Time, we will be done talking about these topics. So we got to be wise on our first half topics here. But we have a lot of NFL news to talk about. Um, starting with the news today that Carson Wentz was traded for two third round picks, essentially to the Washington football team, Washington football team takes on a $28 million cap hit as well. They only had $33 million of cap space ready. So bye-bye Brandon Scherf. You no longer exist as a Washington football team player. Uh, you can no longer be afforded, um, to say, People were unhappy with this move uh, who root for the Washington Commanders would be to put it lightly. I follow several Washington Commanders fans on Twitter, including Matt Vladivinos, who has been on this podcast once or twice, and uh, certain internet personalities such as the great PFT commenter. And everyone just seems very pissed that Carson Wentz is now the quarterback of the Washington football team. Uh, I wonder, Trey, are you also that pissed? Do you think this was that bad of a move? As a member of the club that wants to see Ron Rivera succeed in almost everything that he does, it's a very solemn day, very sad day, because now he has to not only babysit a veteran quarterback that doesn't know how to value himself, you know, um, he has to rely on said veteran quarterback to not play like the horrible version of a player he was during his tail end of his tenure in Philadelphia and during his only year with the Colts. So two, I believe what the conversation was two third round picks, right? Any, any sort of pick third round pick in that sort of range, that's a disgusting value for Carson Wentz because there's in no way, shape or form, any team should even be uh, you know, nearing that sort of level of compensation for a player like Wentz. I don't care about the touchdown to interception ratio. I don't care about any of that. There's just no way. And and I know Washington was desperate for a veteran quarterback because they've basically literally have put it out there. It's basically an open secret at this point that they wanted a veteran quarterback. They wanted another option of their sitter that they could go out there and see if they could give them something other than what Taylor Heineke has given them. But come on. Really? Really? I mean, you, in look, Wentz has had his moments, sure, but – I think he's a bad enough player to the point where we're going to be at this situation next offseason where Washington might be looking for another quarterback. And we're going to flash back to this offseason when, when they made this trade. And we're going to say, you should have waited, maybe found a better option. Because Carson Wentz ain't it. He's just ain't it. Sorry, he's not. Not even close to it. As I'm muted, Ryan, you are also a Carson Wentz expert as a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, how how happy does this news make you to know that he is now in your division? And or are you afraid? How do you feel about this? Yeah, I definitely don't have to worry about how Carson Wentz will be received when he comes back to Philly. Definitely going to get absolutely just smattered with every boo possible from the entire city. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to next season when Carson Wentz comes back to Philly. But 
I, I was I was actually a little surprised that this trade happened. I understand the Colts; they had a lot of frustration with how Wentz, you know, finished the season, and uh, you know they had high expectations. Felt like they had a strong roster. You think adding a quarterback like Wentz at least keeps you even to the year prior when they had Philip Rivers and were able to make the playoffs, but that was obviously not the case. But I was still surprised to see the Colts, you know, move on from Wentz completely. I thought that the two third round picks return was uh, just a little interesting, and uh, especially considering the fact that they traded a first round pick a year ago uh, at least how it turned out when that condition was met that Wentz played the the snap threshold so I thought it was a little interesting to see that move you know take place uh, I was glad to hear Trey bring up the fact that yeah they had Taylor Heineke last year in Washington so I think Wentz at the very least provides you with slightly better quarterback play than what Heineke can do because uh, you know obviously he just doesn't have as much experience Wentz at least has been able to play NFL football albeit you know not at a uh, flawless level so I think that is kind of an interesting fit uh, you know he's going to be able to play with Terry McLaurin who I think may be the best receiver Wentz has played with in his career outside of maybe when Alshon Jeffrey came over for the first time uh, the year the Eagles ended up winning the Super Bowl but uh, I think that should definitely help him out but uh, I think that was just kind of my reaction overall I was just a little surprised to see the Colts actually pull the trigger and move on uh, for just the price of two third round picks. But of course, that being the fact that they were able to clear a ton of that huge cap hit. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just say that Carson Wentz for as much as people rag on him, like he is a passable starting quarterback. And I guess my question here is, how, how much worse do we really view him than Taylor Heineke? Like, do you, do either of you think that Taylor Heineke is a better starting option for 16 games than Carson Wentz? I do not. I think I would rather Wentz for 16 games. Any thoughts on that, Trey? I'm sorry. What did you say? I'm sorry. Would you rather have Heineke or Wentz starting? Jeez, man. They're both mid, like, and I know that's not. Yeah, but, who, but order, who's but. but who's more mid? I guess that's because we can agree. I think every one of us agrees that these these two quarterbacks are mid. But which one of them is more mid? I think Heineke's mid? probably more mid, just because Carson Wentz can give you more uh, from him being able to throw the football. You know, outside the pocket, his mobility is a big part of his game. Um, Heineke can get out the pocket as well, but he doesn't have the arm like Wentz. Uh, you know, there are some moments where Wentz can flash some brilliance to where you might question, if, you know, if he's really the player that everybody makes him out to be. But then the problem with him is that he comes out and makes really bad decisions that brings you back down to level and say, okay, yeah, maybe that's why people say he stinks. So, uh, it's just the problem with Wentz is that he makes so many boneheaded mistakes that, it really takes away of what he could really do as a football player. Because he, if he doesn't make those boneheaded mistakes and just starts taking the checkdowns, which were a problem for him at Indianapolis last season, he just refused to take checkdowns uh, when, they, when they were available. But if he can, you know, just eliminate the mistakes, you know, I think he could be a serviceable option at quarterback because he has some good traits that, I believe, you know, some coach would want to mold around and build around. And that's probably what Frank Reich saw in Wentz, you know, when he, when Wentz was on the trade block, when he was still in Philadelphia and, you know, it backfired on him. But uh, Wentz, if he's not making those stupid mistakes, then he's serviceable, at least to me he is. 
I guess I'm going to continue to play devil's advocate here and say you can make an argument this is a good move as well because to me, now he's the second best quarterback in the division. I, I mean, I, I don't, I would argue that pretty heavily. Like, I know that there's were arguments at points last year for Jalen Hurts, but what we saw in the playoffs and what we saw at certain points when he was forced to throw the ball, like he's not that much better than Carson Wentz as a football player. And Daniel Jones is certainly not that much better than Carson Wentz too. So I think the argument can be made in a weak division and now in a weaker NFC, especially I was thinking about this yesterday. Part of the Russell Wilson move is the NFC is now just kind of devoid of like and the Tom Brady retirement and all that. The NFC is just kind of devoid outside of Aaron Rodgers, really of top tier quarterbacks. So if the defense plays well, which the Washington football's problem last year was that the defense sucked and everybody was relying on the defense. The offense actually wasn't terrible. Like Taylor Heineke was watchable most of the time and they did move the ball well. And, you know, Terry McLaurin did Terry McLaurin things and Antonio Gibson was pretty good. But I don't know, like, I could see this working out for them. Like they could be a wild card team next year, like easily in the NFC East. Like we don't know what the Cowboys are going to be like. Easily, they're, they're losing Amari Cooper, by the way. We, we'll get to that in a second. But I think the Washington football team have just as good a shot of any team in that division to win that division with Carson Wentz as the quarterback. I know that may sound crazy, but it's just kind of how I feel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think that they're going to, you know, play competitive football. It's still, I think, a bad division overall. But I think that Philadelphia and Dallas have a little bit upper edge still, even after the trade for Washington in this division, at least how I look at it going into the season. But obviously, we still have free agency in the draft, a lot of things to be sorted out. But um, I think it'll be a close competitive division. I don't think any team, one team will run away with it. And just given the fact of how the NFC East plays out on a regular basis, usually teams don't repeat. That hasn't happened since 2004. So Dallas likely, you know, at least with that trend, you know, they may not repeat, which could open a door for a team like Washington or Philadelphia, I think, is the uh, is the next the most logical teams to win the division. Yeah, uh, on the Colts side of things, they really kind of got caught in the middle here with they just totally misevaluated. They thought their best option was going to be Carson Wentz. They gave up way too much for him and essentially traded a first-round pick for a year of Carson Wentz and a third. Like, that's that's what the Colts ended up doing. And now the Colts are being thrown out there as a landing spot for Jimmy G. And it's just sort of – I feel bad for Colts fans because, like, what would a Russell Wilson trade have done for them? Like that roster is really well constructed as well. And with a good quarterback could be a contender and you're going to try to sell your fan base on Jimmy G. Like, I don't know. Part of me knows that this was an ownership uh, decision from everything I've read. Jim Irsay literally called the team back after that loss to Jacksonville, sat everyone down 
and basically said, I am not going into 2021 with Carson Wentz as my starter. If you read the reporting and read between the lines, that's exactly what happened. Um, but I don't know if they have a better option right now. Like it, it feels like going from Carson Wentz to Jimmy G is a lateral move, if not a slight downgrade. Yeah, Dre, do you want to go first on that? Uh, Ryan Keating actually go first on that real quick. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that Jimmy G and, and Wentz are like, I guess, like a similar type of quarterback. Like they're obviously like good enough to be starting NFL quarterbacks, but I don't think good enough to, you know, really kind of elevate the level of the team at really any kind of, uh, you know, capacity. So uh, I don't necessarily view it as an upgrade if that were to kind of come to fruition for the Colts, but um, more just kind of like a lateral move. But I also kind of thought that Rivers to Wentz was going to be more of a lateral move than it ended up being. Yeah. I, I don't really see the validity in, I guess you could say the reason that Jimmy G big some sort of upgrade over what the Colts got out of Carson Wentz. First off, Jimmy G, you know, I think the only good season that Jimmy G has really had in San Francisco, you know, aside from when he came onto the scene, you know, late in the year for San Francisco, I believe it was in 2015, 2016. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but he came onto the scene. I believe he had a real good record in the starts. He was throwing touchdowns all over the place. You know, San Francisco was really called the quarterback of the future. But aside from that part, uh, that year would San Francisco really make the Super Bowl? GBG was, I guess you could say, a respectable quarterback, but he wasn't anything all too great. It was really the running game that was taking that 49ers offense and really elevating it to an offense that defenses had to truly and really respect, you know, all the way from week one, you know, up until the Super Bowl. So um, in a Kyle Shanahan offense, that's hailed as one of the great offenses around the league just because the run game can really open up so many things for the play for the passing game whether it's play ass play action excuse me or the traditional drop back passing game gbg just hasn't really looked all that good in you know in that offense and maybe you can say injuries maybe you can say uh this the skill weapon situation you know aside maybe from running back wasn't all that consistently good throughout gbg's tenure in san francisco but if Jimmy G can't look good, consistently good, and a system as good as Shanahan's, what do you think he's going to look like in Frank Reich's system? Which, to be re- you know, to be respectful, it's it's a good system. I, I I believe some people would agree with that, but it's not nearly the same system that could open up the opportunities for quarterbacks and uh, other skill players like Kyle Shanahan's offense can. So, yeah, it's I don't think Jimmy G would really be that much of an upgrade, you know, not just because of talent, um, which they're probably the same well, same player, you know, talent level wise. But in terms of just Jimmy G played well in a certain scheme. So um, I don't really see that sort of move if they do make it the Colts do uh, bringing in Jimmy G just to replace Carson Wentz. I don't really see it as doing anything to move the needle, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just a tough sell to a fan base. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem like this works out for either team, and it feels like the Colts and Washington football team a year from now are still going to be looking for quarterbacks. Um, we, we'll, we will see what happens. Uh, this one we can hit pretty quickly here. Just it was a, a signing. I don't really even know what to – 
say about this other than Aaron Rodgers signed a deal, used, I guess, used for Broncos basically as a way to say, hey, I'll leave if you don't pay me more money. But was this just like the biggest waste of time in NFL history, Trey? Did we not call this like completely from day one that this guy was never really going to leave, never really had a shot of leaving, and this was just going to be a tiresome storyline that dragged out for two years. I'm pretty sure I directly called that, no? Yeah, you did. See, in all honesty, I really thought Aaron Rodgers had a decent chance of leaving simply because is that he's granted to so much failure, postseason failure, Green Bay over the last couple of years, that maybe he would want to do shot. Uh, and maybe in another conference, you know, have a fresh start and try to win somewhere else. And the fact that the whole we didn't really get a lot of clarity or in terms of updates on Aaron Rodgers situation with the front office. So, I mean, I guess we have reason to believe that Aaron Rodgers had a decent shot at leaving. But, you know, as the whole, you know, I, I believe it was the end of the Super Bowl, you know, as we got up to the point where Aaron Rodgers announced he was going to return. I think, you know, like you said, we all start to realize that, okay, Aaron Rodgers is returning just, you know, about it so we can move on because, I mean, it's a big waste of time. I mean, I know the NFL, you know, thrives on media's uh, avenues like this where star players can uh, threaten or have some sort of possibility of moving on somewhere else. You know, the NFL thrives on it. We love it. Uh, but sometimes, you know, like with Aaron Rodgers and how obnoxious he kind of was over the 2021 season, we just wanted, you know, it to be over with because like you said it's a waste of time. So, yeah, like you said, it, it was a really big waste of time. And I really wish it didn't go as long as it did because, you know, our attention could have been spent doing something way more productive. But, yeah, waste of time. And. I just don't know why it drug on for dragged on for as long as it did, honestly. Yeah, I don't know, Ryan. I, I don't know if you have anything else to add on here. Like everyone kind of pointed one way or the other. They worked around it. So this year they can kind of get out of cap hell. Oh, also they tagged Devontae Adams. So Packers are just gonna run it back tomorrow. Uh I mean next season, but I'm just gonna say. Right now, I know I have gotten sucked in and picked the Packers before our postseason shows, Trey, every time over the past two years. I've seen them choke enough times now that I will not be picking the Packers. No matter how good they look in the regular season, I'll be picking against the Packers until they prove me wrong. Because, I mean, at this point, they, they just can't do it, I guess, you're going to run it back and that's cool and they'll be talented and they'll get the one seed. But I don't know. This doesn't change my opinion about the fact that I think Aaron Rodgers has like a choking issue and is not going to win a Super Bowl anytime soon. No, not even close, man. Yeah, I guess my kind of just kind of wrapping things up here. I actually, my reaction to this, I feel like there's two guys that were most impacted by this and neither one of them is Aaron Rodgers. You mentioned one of them, Eric Devontae Adams. You know, I, I think every team was looking at Devontae Adams, this free agency and saying, man, 
Aaron Rodgers leaves and you're telling me Devontae Adams is a free agent, I'll give him anything he possibly wants, just considering how elite of an, a receiver he is in the NFL. So obviously the fact that they keep Rodgers, that'll allow them to keep Adams as well without any kind of you know fear of him leaving or holding out or anything like that. So Adams staying in Green Bay, I think is almost as big of a you know kind of side note as much as it is Rodgers. And then the other guy is going to be Jordan Love. I mean, the Packers just a few years ago traded up in the first round to get this guy Jordan Love thinking, hey, he could be the guy for us after Rodgers. We don't know how long he has left, but obviously this is a huge boat of confidence that they're like, yep, Rodgers, he's kind of our guy. We're going to kind of ride it out here for a couple more years uh, while we still think he has some quality football. But what does that now mean for Jordan Love? You know, he played one game last year when Rodgers was out with COVID, did not play well in a game against Kansas City. So that also makes me think like, man, if he balled out in that game, do we see this with Rodgers or do they maybe go to that switch to Jordan Love? So now I'm kind of wondering, is there a team that would want to trade for Jordan Love? Uh, you know, maybe potentially buy low on him. To me, it's kind of a similar situation to when we had a couple of years ago when Tom Brady was still playing and Jimmy Garoppolo was kind of like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm getting closer. I'm almost ready to play. Obviously, they end up moving him to San Francisco and he was a guy we were talking about earlier. But that's just kind of the vibe and, and situation I'm getting out of this deal. Yeah, it's an Aaron Rodgers contract extension, but I think both Devontae Adams and Jordan Love are almost as equally impacted. Five away gets pretty difficult because they're, they're still going to be in cap hell it gets pretty difficult to see how Devonte adams is going to be on the team next year and how they work out a long-term deal just because they don't they don't have the cap space so i really do think we're going to be talking about Devonte adams going into next offseason as well i don't think there's a long-term deal coming there they, because they just physically do not have the cap space to pay Devonte Adams what Devonte Adams is going to ask for. So who knows? Who knows? I mean, that's I just think, my thought. I think that's a situation where the Packers would be more inclined to maybe tag him again and then go all out uh, between now and that tag, and maybe even after that second tag of trying to push for a longer deal or a more long-term deal, you know, and of course they will have to make the moves, but I don't think Green Bay is going to let Devontae Adams leave anytime soon as long as they have Aaron Rodgers. Well, the, the next time they tag him would be like that massive, like mega tag where you, we're yeah. talking about like $100 million almost for a wide receiver. $100 million, Adam, I, I, I think you might be a little That bit. can't be, I'm exaggerating, obviously. <laughs> but like a high number. You know, well, of course, it's a high number, but I think, you know, in terms of them trying to manage the cap, maybe it might be a manageable number to the point where they won't have to, I guess you could say, sell their soul just to open up cap space to, you know, immediately and rush, in, rush to sign them to a long-term deal. But uh, I think they still have some room, you know, some time left, at least. And I think they have some moves where they can at least, you know, explore now or maybe later down the line to where they can move open some cap space and they can maybe sign Devontae Adams to that long-term deal, long-term deal. Yeah. I mean, that, that is definitely a fair point. Um, I just think that things get difficult next year for them if they don't get a long-term deal done with him. And he's going to ask for a lot of money because he should be the highest paid wide receiver ever. That's, that's just like, what, what we should expect. All right. We're clocks ticking down on us. Calvin Ridley suspended a year for gambling. Um, this became a story just because 
the NFL doesn't deal with suspensions very well. We all know this. Uh, Deshaun Watson is facing 23 or so sexual assault cases, might be like a huge sexual predator, and he is still gathering paychecks in the NFL. Calvin Ridley put out some really bad parlays, and he got a year. I mean, please tell me how that makes sense. I understand why you have to nip players betting in the bud immediately because it gets dicey really quick, but that can be the case. And at the same time, it can be pointed out that the NFL is hugely hypocritical because they are now in bed with all these gambling associations and they still don't know how to punish like domestic abusers and very basic like criminal offenses and you still get more time for smoking weed than you do, you know, gambling. So I don't don't know. It just, uh, uh, you know, that, that was really the talking point on Twitter, but Calvin Ridley also, you shouldn't have gambled with an official like gambling account. He, I'm pretty sure he used like a Calvin Ridley email that was either his NFL email or just an email that was like Calvin Ridley at gmail.com. And that set off a red flag, but triggered all this, by the way. So also Calvin Ridley, like if you're going to bet on games, there are ways to do it. Just get a bookie and like avoid all this. I don't know. It's, it's just a, it's just a weird story all around. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why NFL or there's a reason why people mentioned the whole NFL player or professional athlete. If you want to bet on your individual sport, then simply, you know, like you said, get a bookie or just ask your cousin or something or somebody to make the bets, dude. It's literally not that hard, man. I mean, look, look, the whole suspension thing with Calvin Ridley, uh, I, I guess it makes sense because the NFL's really trying to keep their little fake image in terms of keeping the integrity of the game in place. Uh, and, you know, you know, especially when they're the NFL itself, the shield is being very hypocritical in terms of suspensions and all the, you know, other critical stuff that they've done over the past couple of years. But goodness gracious, man, get a bookie or ask a family member to put in the bets, dude. And that's that's literally one of the first things you should do. First things, doing it yourself is only asking to get caught and get flamed like he did. Yeah, I would say that's his fault for getting caught more so than his fault for gambling. That's kind of why the uh, suspension was as much as it was. I mean, yeah, I think you bring up good points, Eric. Like, oh, what are we doing? You know, the, where is kind of well, what is the most strict thing we're going to be penalizing? Is gambling really worth the full year? Uh, I think those are kind of fair questions to ask, but uh, yeah, I think that, you know, really definitely deserves some blame. You know, it's kind of your fault. It's not your fault for gambling. It's your fault for getting caught. Gambling. Yeah, no, I think we're all on the same page there. We can kind of move on from that one. Just kind of a, a funny story. Like uh, when you really come down to it, like also, I don't know if you guys saw the bets he placed, but they were all like really bad bets. Like, why are you betting on the Falcons money line? Like, just stop, stop betting on the Falcons money line. It's just always a bad idea. So uh, it's uh, crazy. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, apparently on the trade block for the Panthers. They want a first round pick. 
They might not get it. I know we're in the era of running backs don't matter, and I know Christian McCaffrey has injury issues, but I feel like Christian McCaffrey is the one guy that I would say, okay, I'll give you like a high second round pick to get this guy because he's the type of guy that can completely change your offense when he's healthy. Yeah, I think for me, no way is he worth a first-round pick. I think if you want to trade a first-round pick for a running back, just draft the best running back in the class, and then you'll get good production there. It's kind of my thought. And then plus, you don't have to pay the large cap hit that is uh, due to McCaffrey when you're just paying a rookie salary. So, like, I would much rather say, like, Najee Harris just taking last year's top running back than I would, uh, you know, trading a first-round pick for McCaffrey. Uh, that's just me personally. So I think the most I would consider paying, like you said, Eric, would be a second round pick. But uh, even then, I think a lot of teams would probably say, yeah, I think we're good on that when we can consider uh, where else we could be sp- spending that potential cap space. Aside so- from aside from all the optics with this trade, Christian McCaffrey, you know, when he was healthy, you know, when he's healthy, he's one of the more dynamic weapons, not just running backs at all the football. Aside from the obvious optics of that, we're watching the, the the nerds that really hate the idea of running backs be good and getting paid. They're laughing again, and they're literally cackling as we watch the great days of physical manhandling, trench-punishing football go away, man. So it sucks. It sucks, but it is what it is. I was confused by that point entirely, Trey. You kind of lost me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Nothing you said just made sense to me at all. Yeah, w- w- please re-say that. I, I, I got very confused. I'll say <laughs> this again. I said aside from the obvious optics of one of the more explosive and fun weapons in the NFL when he's healthy, aside from the obvious optics of that, uh, of him potentially getting traded, we're continuing to watch the trend of the downfall of physical manhandling trench warfare in terms of running the football being physical, man. So, yeah, that's my viewpoint on it. Okay, so you think we're losing that physicality. We already lost it. We're losing recipes, Eric. We're losing the eggs, man. I have a guest that I really want to try to get on. I work with a guy who played in the NFL uh, who was like a a defensive end, I believe for the Indianapolis Colts. And he's, he's a lot older than us, but like uh, I know him like a decent amount. I'm really trying to get him on in the summer, keep that same energy. I'd really be interested because I think he might share the same opinion you do. Uh, it'll it'll be an interesting conversation. Every smart, every smart football fan should appreciate the beauty of warfare in the trenches between the big boys, man. Everybody should appreciate that, and they shouldn't be happy that it's going away. We're losing our edge. We're we're losing our pastime. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I get this now, but let me just make give you a just quick note, like. We're talking about Christian McCaffrey here. I don't know how this developed into like how it devolved into like, oh, we need to value the play in the trenches more. We were not talking about that at all. That's why I was very confused. For oh, of course. I, I think I'm trying to, to tie it into the point of Christian McCaffrey being a running back and that his 
despite his position being so devalued over the past couple of years, like he, like it has, the idea of a weapon like that being traded devalues the, the running back position even more, which further devalues the idea of physical trench warfare. Gotcha. But I, I, I also don't view Christian McCaffrey as like a super physical player. Like he's just really skilled. I view the offensive lineman blocking for him as an important okay. aspect. Of that training. makes sense. We've got to move on. We're running out of time. <laughs> um, Amari Cooper to be cut. This is interesting. The Cowboys, it seems like they're playing. Uh, Michael Gallup was coming up for a contract. Uh, Amari Cooper is coming up for a contract next year. They just decided to fast forward the process a little bit, it seems. They tagged Dalton Schultz. And it seems like their plan is to go into next year with C.D. Lamb, Dalton Schultz, and Michael Gallup as some of their main weapons. I don't hate that. Michael Gallup's pretty well valued, but Amari Cooper's going to be a free agent. And suddenly, with Devontae Adams tagged and Chris Godwin tagged, he is the best wide receiver out there on the market, correct? I can agree to that. Yeah, I would say uh, I would say most likely. I mean, I think he's going to be up there with, you know, Allen Robinson, I still think is going to be a pretty solid option for some guys. But uh, now that we know some uh, more. But I mean, that. even like Allen Robinson had a really bad year last year. Didn't try, wasn't like, didn't show up on film. His Your tape is your resume. As uh, I, I heard that from Nate Tice the other day on a podcast. And his tape last year was so bad, so bad uh not good at all i know he was in chicago but still i would much rather have amari cooper to me the team that amari cooper i'd like to see him go to most just give him new york just give zach wilson amari cooper and see what happens like i feel like that might 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 end up being something kind of cool yeah i think that would be fair I think the reason I brought up Robinson is because I think because of him not having as dominant of a year last year, a team could get him at a little bit less value than I think what he may be worth, just because I think he's been a really quality underrated receiver the last you know five years or so without getting much quality play, which kind of makes last year interesting. The fact that he gets Justin Fields, but isn't able to really kind of develop good chemistry with him. So I think where the contracts may come in at, I, I may take Robinson over Cooper for that reason, but I think it's fair to say that you could take Cooper overall in this uh, free agency class, especially especially given the fact that we know Adams and Godwin have uh, already resigned with their teams. Yeah. Uh, last one day after some more Russell Wilson thoughts, Ryan, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Russell Wilson trade yesterday. Uh, do you like it? Like where you at on my Broncos? Like, do you think that they have a real shot or do you think it the hype's overhyped? Where do you view Russell Wilson as a quarterback right now as well? Because there is like a legitimate case to be made that he didn't really play like a top 10 guy last year. And he's had two kind of down years, honestly, in Seattle. I uh, just wonder where you view him as a quarterback right now. Yeah, I'm still very, very high on Russell Wilson. I still think he's, you know, among the upper echelon starters in the NFL, even given the fact that, you know, maybe he hasn't been playing as strong a football the last few years. But at the same time, I think Seattle as an organization has regressed pretty much every year since they ended up winning that Super Bowl when Wilson was still pretty young. So I don't necessarily put it all on him. And I think Denver is going to be a really good landing spot. I think the thing that I'm thinking of is like, I like that he's got Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton out there. 
uh, you know, to be able to throw to. I think that's a good wide receiver duo. I just don't think it's as strong as what he's coming from in Seattle when they had Metcalf and Lockett. So I kind of wonder, you know, is Wilson going to be able to, con- you know, keep the same magic, extend plays when, uh, you know, he had such good chemistry with both those guys. So it may take a little bit of time for him to kind of develop some chemistry with both Judy and Sutton, but I think it should be a pretty exciting offense and uh, obviously a new coach for Denver as well. Offensive coach coming over from Green Bay with Nathaniel Hackett. So be interesting to see, you know, some new parts. I don't know if immediately they'll start, you know, eight, no, but I think that the Broncos are going to have a lot of success. And I think Wilson has at least five years of very strong quality play left in him. Yeah. uh, My other thought before we move on here was just, and I mentioned this earlier, but like the AFC is so much harder than the NFC now. Like, let me just, run through really quick uh, as I pull up my handy I'd like view of NFL playoff predictor as I love to pull that that thing up every now and again even in the offseason when it's when it's not all set up but let me just kind of read to you the list of quarterbacks in the AFC compared to the NFC. So in the AFC, you're going to have Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson. And that's not mentioned. And that's not to mention also mid-tier guys like Mac Jones and Ryan Tannehill. We'll throw those two guys in there. That's like seven, like that's seven elite quarterbacks and two pretty good quarterbacks. In the NFC, like, the NFC is going to be a much easier conference because, honestly, you've got Aaron Rodgers, and then you've got Dak Prescott, which it can be debated, like, how good he is, but in the regular season, he's a top-tier quarterback. And then you have Matthew Stafford and Kyler Murray. There's, like four guys and two of those guys you could debate if they're actually like elite quarterback talent or or not. It is just crazy how many stacked elite quarterbacks, like of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, seven of them reside in the AFC. It's crazy. Kind of makes you, I guess you say, appreciate the years when the NFC actually had decent quarterback talent. And now it's just a barren wasteland full of, you know, you said Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, you know, and then a bunch of guys. So, um, but also you can flip over to the AFC and you can probably start predicting which teams are going to get primetime games, uh, which conferences playoffs are going to be probably the most entertaining just because of the quarterback matchups and how exciting those can be, you know, just for an example, you know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, just his past playoffs when they put in probably one of the best quarterback duels we've ever seen in league history. So, um, you just have to appreciate the time when you have quarterback talent in you know, respective conferences, but you can also uh, be appreciative of uh, what, can, what you can focus on now in terms of, you know, the quarterback talent in the AFC, which is really exciting, Gina. you know, I guess you could say, think about when you look over the list of quarterbacks that's in the AFC. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to watch, you know, how the quarterback battles in the AFC shake out this year. It should be real fun. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think you can even just look at that division specifically in the AFC West. And I mean, it's a loaded quarterback division at the top, even with Mahomes. You had Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert's really emerging. And I thought even Derek Carr had kind of a solid year last year. So you can just even kind of look at that division alone and you've got four pretty solid quarterbacks. So I think that tells you all that you really need to know about how strong the AFC is becoming here. Yeah. And like, I'm, I would make the argument that last year, Derek Carr was a top 10 quarterback. So you could make an argument that if you argued for Russell Wilson's upside, there's a legitimate argument to be made that every single quarterback in that division is a top 10 quarterback. Is that crazy to say? Mm, I mean, Ryan could probably answer this better than me because literally I'm not the best, you guess, I guess you could say ranker in terms of quarterbacks, but having Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Justin Herbert, uh, in the same division, I think that's, you know, at least three, let's say top 11, maybe top 12 quarterbacks. If you're really putting, or if you're really putting a lot of stock into the last couple of years for Russell Wilson. Uh, and you know, if you're not really that big of a believer in Derek Carr, but Ryan can probably judge is better than me in all honesty. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you on that, Dre. I think that, you know, those three quarterbacks excluding Carr are, you know, top 10 or at least top 12 worthy. I think I'm a little bit lower on Carr, even though I think he's had some solid years for sure in the NFL, but, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent there without a doubt. Okay. Let's take a quick break and then let's get into some of these wide receivers. Let's take a break. Trey, unfortunately, the reality of human life is that someday we will all pass on. No one wants to think about it. It's an uncomfortable topic, but it's important to take care of you and your loved ones when that day comes. That's right, Eric. Fortunately for our listeners, we know of a great guy that can help you set up your wills and trusts. Absolutely, Trey. Our friend Andrew McCullough has you covered. You can find him on Twitter at A-M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H-105. His DMs are open, and he and the folks at Brindley Sullivan can help you take care of you and your family's estate planning needs. Don't just take our word for it, though. Here is University of Utah star and current draft prospect, Britton Covey, to tell us more. Hey guys, Britton Covey here. As my long time at the University of Utah is coming to a close, it's time for me to start thinking about my future. There's no one I trust more than Andrew McCullough at the firm of Brindley Sullivan for my estate planning needs. Give his office a call to set up a free consultation at 435-673-9220. Andrew's firm is headquartered in St. George, but he spends plenty of time along the Wasatch Front taking care of his needs. So call him and tell him that Britton Covey sent you. More info at trustyourtrust.com. All right, so today we're going to do one of my favorite draft-related episodes, wide receiver class, always easy to find highlights for, always always easy to kind of see, even on regular TV, if a guy's a good route runner or not, you can can see a lot for wide receivers on, of course, not all 22, which I don't have all 22 for college, so that's kind of too bad for me, but Ryan does. So here's what I want to do since this has gone kind of long. We have a list of about 10 guys here. So there are three of us. I want to go around the horn twice, and we'll see how much time that takes up. But I want one of us each to choose our favorite two guys 
in the class. Um, and I will start just so the guy doesn't get taken because I think he might, if I wait till the third pick, which I, I would have gone for. To me, the wide receiver won in this class and his combine numbers put it over the top for me, Chris Olave. I know everyone really likes Garrett Wilson a lot, but every time I watched Ohio State play over the past two years, Chris Olave just jumped off the screen. The guy is such a crisp route runner. Like, he just ma- makes angles. Like, he'll be running in a straight line, and then he'll make, like, a really sudden movement and just totally break away from his defender. Once he catches the ball in space, he's also, like, a totally deadly weapon. We saw him put up an insane 40-time. He had, what, a 4-4 or something? He, he was crazy fast at the combine uh he's also a big tall strong receiver as well can win at the catch point made some crazy kind of acrobatic toe tapping catches to me chris olave is the wide receiver one in the class and the guy that i would be most hyped if my team drafted and and to be completely honest with you the only guy I think is worthy of being drafted in the top 10 in this class, because I think with, with this wide receiver class and I'll let Ryan take over after I say this, because he has a much more broad sense, but Ryan, what I got from watching all these guys was that this year is not going to have like Justin chase, or if you're looking for Justin Jefferson or Jamar chase, Probably this isn't your year. Like there's no one of that caliber in this draft class. But what you are going to be getting is like a solid wide receiver too. Think like Mike Williams, think like Tyler Boyd, think like T Higgins, like really solid wide receiver twos that are still going contribute to contribute to your passing game statistically and give you depth. If you need a second or third wide receiver to pair with your wide receiver one like acts that you have locked down like the Washington football team for example this is a perfect draft for them because you pair one of these guys with Chris Olave with Terry McLaurin and you're immediately going to have one of the best wide receiving cores in the NFL that's just the way I kind of view this class and I think Chris Olave is the closest thing to a number one there is but overall probably still a number two wide receiver with a really good skill set. Yeah, I think that's all very fair. I'll comment on Olave first before kind of the wide receiver class overall. I like Olave a lot as well. You kind of nailed it. You know, every time I'm watching Ohio State, it seems like he's wide open 40 yards down the field because he just broke off a double move or uh, made a really nice cut on a, you know, blaze out route where he's just wide open and has really smooth hands as well. So I I think that he's going to make a really kind of natural transition right to the NFL. You know, he played a lot of games at Ohio State, was a, you know, four-year player. And uh, Ohio State's really kind of made a living out of giving those four-year wide receivers is a, a nice boost um, and Olave definitely fits into that category as well so definitely a lot to like with Olave super productive player scored a ton of touchdowns but is at Ohio State which is obviously something that you like to see so I definitely think Olave is worthy of you know kind of I would say more a little bit outside of the top 10 I think like between like 10 and 16 ish uh, you know it's not as strong of a draft class so I think there could be a way a team would take a shot on Olave in the inside of the top 10 or maybe even another guy but uh, I do think that it's fair overall what you're saying 
saying about the class, uh, you know, maybe not as, uh, you know, kind of top heavy uh, when you think about some of the guys like Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase of last year's class, but um, there's just a lot of depth uh, in this class overall. A lot of wide receiver twos is kind of how I saw it as well. So we can start diving into some other guys, but I uh, definitely agree with your analysis overall in the class. And uh, Olave is definitely a guy I really like uh, as well. Yeah, I, I guess if I wanted to chime in, maybe a couple of my favorite wide receivers in this draft, I think one would probably be Jamison Williams, uh, just simply because of the explosiveness and the big playability he can really offer uh, once he gets up to the NFL, once he recovers from his injury. Uh, good hands, decent short uh, quickness, you know, can take a short play to the house. You know, I really, really value wide receivers like that. Uh, and, and just to make it even better, he's a little bit taller. Might need to add a little bit of weight, maybe something because he has a leaner frame. But uh, he's a wide receiver that if you're really confident in his ability to recover, you know, in terms of his rehab for his ACL injury, then uh, he's I think he's going to be really, really nice once he gets up to the league. And uh, probably the second wide receiver for me is Traylon Burks. Um, I heard about the guy maybe about a couple of years ago being the potential wide receiver one in this class because he's tall. Uh, uh, you know, maybe not the best athlete, but he's tall. He's really, you know, really bulky, uh, can really be physical, uh, you know, as a wide receiver, can really go up in high point uh, footballs at the highest point. So um, some people have, you know, I guess you could say made a comp for him for A.J. Brown, which I haven't really watched enough of Burks to really agree with that comp or disagree uh, in, in some form or fashion. But um, he's definitely a good football player that I'm really, really excited uh, to watch, you know, as he develops. He's, he's not going to be, I guess you could say, the most explosive year one contributor because he still has some things to work on. You know, he's not the best route runner. So that might, you know, temper the expectations he might have in his rookie year. But if you can get him with a good coach that can develop him, uh, develop and you know, fine tune some of the smaller parts of his game, I think he's going to be really good. And just to throw one more out there, um, George Pickens, I, I'm not sure he's going to go first round, uh, but he's definitely going to be a mid-round steal for any team that decides to take a flyer on him because it's a real fun athlete to watch. He's a real tall, lean wide receiver that can go up and make those, you know, those you know exciting high point catches, but he can also run away from you know has some decent speed as well. So um, I'm really excited to see how it all sticks out for George Pickens because he's a player that's I've been, you know, that I've been watching for a while, you know, because I'm a Tennessee fan and I've been watching SEC football for a bit. So um, I'm really excited to, you know, see what George Pickens can do once he gets up to the NFL, because he has the tools to really make an impact in my opinion. So I might've missed it, but I guess that means you're our last one on round one here, Ryan, I think Trey just, unloaded every single pick he had and instead of waiting for that too it's okay but uh why don't you tell it was like who's the guy that you're kind of looking at in this class that we haven't maybe mentioned that yet that you're excited about yeah, I, I think you good points there. Uh, I really like Jamison Williams as well, Trey. He's uh, He was kind of the guy I looked at as one of my favorites. And Traylon Burks is a really fun watch as well. So you hit on a couple of the guys that I really like as well. But uh, one guy for me, actually, that, that we haven't yet talked about is Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Uh, yeah. Dotson was a guy I got to watch a good amount, obviously uh, following the Big Ten pretty closely. And I remember uh, scouting him uh, his uh, junior year last year. 
uh, before a game he played against Iowa. And I was like, wow, this guy is really just jumping out all the time. I mean, he was really explosive, really breaking uh, some deep plays, both after the catch and also creating opportunities deep downfield, winning with his route running and his, and his pure speed. So I think Dotson is a guy that uh, every time I've watched him, I've been incredibly impressed with. And uh, I think he's another just kind of really versatile player um, that can win in a lot of different ways. And uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit in terms of value of Rashad Bateman last year, uh, you know, just another Big Ten receiver, I think could go more towards the end of the first round, but provide a lot of really good value for a team over the next couple of years. Obviously, Bateman ended up with the Ravens. So Jahan Dotson is a guy for me that I've definitely caught my eye on and uh, really have enjoyed watching him. So um, he's definitely a guy uh, to watch out for as well. Real quickly, though, what are your thoughts on Justin Gross, though? Because that was one of the guys that was really have a lot of people talking after his freshman yeah. year. He had that neck injury. I believe he had a foot injury. Uh, past couple of years as well. So what's your thoughts on Justin Ross? And do you think he can really hit that potential that people, you know, I guess you could say attributed to him after that really, really nice freshman year, you know, especially that uh, national title game performance, I believe he had against Alabama. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up, Trey. Cause actually when you were talking about George Pickens, I kind of, you know, was thinking a little bit about Justin Ross because I think if, if I was creating a mock draft, you know, say like three years in advance, like I, I was scouting guys coming out of high school and seeing how they're, you know, viewed, how they're recruited, where they may end up. I think that both George Pickens and Justin Ross would maybe be wide receiver one, wide receiver two going into this year's draft. But obviously their careers haven't necessarily played out as they had kind of hoped, you know, going to big time schools with Clemson and Georgia. But for Ross specifically, you mentioned it dominant, you know, early on in his career at an incredible showing out party in the uh, in the uh, championship game that he had with Trevor Lawrence when Clemson was able to win that. And you just saw a freak athlete, a guy that had speed and incredible contested catchability and great hands. So there was a lot to like with Ross, but uh, you know, his, uh, his sophomore year wasn't quite as planned, didn't get quite as much production. And then last year, Clemson's offense really kind of faltered. They lost a couple of guys on offense, most notably Trevor Lawrence, DJ Uweangalele uh, was not able to muster up as much of a dynamic passing threat, but Ross still definitely had some moments. I mean, I, I think like I went back and watched some Clemson last year and I was kind of like why wasn't this team quite as good just because they had been so dominant for so long but I think Ross was definitely a guy that still kind of stood out for me and uh, I wouldn't have uh, too much kind of concern not a guy I would be confident taking in in the first round but I think he would be a very good option for a team uh, once we get maybe outside of the top 50 to say hey this guy's got a lot of talent we'll see if we can kind of put it together and give him an opportunity to continue to develop so I think Ross is super intriguing and when you're talking about Pickens I kind of had the same vibe with both those players. Yeah, um, the second guy I want to mention is uh, David Bell. Uh, this was a guy that I asked Brian, hey, give me like some under the radar guys to watch. And I just watched this guy like completely cook everyone he played against. Uh, like he's not that fast. He's not like super special at anything he does, but like fundamentally he's a solid route runner. He has a huge catch radius. Like he goes up and gets the ball. Like he kind of reminds me of slow DK Metcalf a little bit. And like, I don't know. I'm just a David Bell fan. I think a team that drafts him in the second or third round is going to get a nice player who's going to be able to contribute in their first year uh, with some, especially in the red zone, uh, David Bell, what do you think about him, Ryan? To me, he's just a total vibe. I know the group chat got kind of popping when we started talking about David Bell. So 
I just wanted to hear what we all thought about David Bell. Yeah, another you know, Big Ten player, so watched him a lot in uh, some of his games he played against Iowa. Purdue's actually had a lot of success against Iowa, which is kind of random, but um, David Bell has definitely been a big factor for that, and uh, you can even go back. David Bell was a freshman, and uh, you know Purdue had Rondale Moore there, and he was a huge part of the offense. He was getting like 15 touches a game, and you're thinking, you know, wow, this offense is all Rondale Moore, but then this David Bell guy kind of keeps showing up, making some plays you know, improves a little bit as a sophomore and had just an incredible year this year as well. So I think that's something that I like a lot with Bell is that he's continued to improve and get better, uh, even in a situation in which he had another, you know, quality NFL receiver with him uh, at a school like Purdue when you may not initially think that would be the case. So definitely like Bell a lot from a film standpoint. The big thing that's going to hold David Bell back is his speed. I mean, he ran a 4.6540, which, um, you know, isn't necessarily slow, but um, you would definitely hope to have a little bit more juice and uh, a little bit more speed uh, than we saw from Bell there. But but again, I think for that reason, a team could kind of find some value in terms of maybe he slips into round three or four um, because of his, you know, athletic testing in the 40 yard dash. But um, a team could find a really good player uh, to kind of make even almost an immediate impact as a depth receiver uh, for next year. Yeah, I, I just thought that he was cool. Um, a few like. Not we're talking about like big guys you're playing on the outside, a few like slot guys, but I just want to shout out uh because they go in the later round sometimes. Uh, but one guy that was brought to my attention, I, I'm sure Trey has something to talk about him because he plays on his market. But Calvin Austin, really speedy guy, looks like you could plug him into the slot, he could be a nice deep threat for you. Uh, but I'm going to give you two more guys, and um, both come from the state of Utah. I texted Brian about this guy a lot during the season. I think he knows who I'm talking about. Devin Tompkins, this kid is unreal. I mean, the all-time leading receiver at Utah State, just an absolutely filthy route runner, massive vertical. The problem is he's something like 5'6" with like what what are his measurables exactly if you can pull this up really quick ryan like he is like a really small guy but he is like one of the best wide receivers i have ever seen play college football period and like just made huge plays for utah state every single week and i promise you anybody who takes a flyer on this guy in like the sixth or seventh round you're going to like hear about him as like I either a special punt returner or like a guy who's catching like at least two or three passes a week for big chunks on Sundays for years to come because this guy's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I definitely do like Tompkins, and yeah, credit to you, Eric. You're definitely the guy that kind of put me on. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? He's making some plays, as you said, but kind of reminds me a little bit of Jalen Darden, who got drafted last year out of North Texas to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Kind of showed up a little bit towards the end of the year. If you did watch some Bucks games, uh, especially once they had started to get some injuries at the receiver position, but just a really small guy at a really small school, but is hella explosive. That's kind of what I saw out of Tompkins as well. Um, I think that like 
yeah, I think your evaluation of him is correct. I think he is going to be a very, very end of the draft guide, not someone I would consider taking, you know, anywhere near, you know, rounds three or four even. Um, but I think, you know, he can provide some juice. I think he can be a, a kind of a depth receiver. And as you mentioned, maybe able to help out a little bit on special teams, which there's all quite a few teams that day three of the draft, they're really just looking for guys that can make an impact on special teams because they have a high chance of making the roster. So, uh, you know, Tompkins, I have him at 5'8", 155. So he's a small guy. He's definitely not going to get picked on his size alone. So uh, I think that, you know, he will get a shout just given the fact of how productive he was in his career, uh, as you kind of outlined there, Eric. But um, yeah, I think that uh, it could be a, it could be a nice gem for somebody to find, uh, you know, very late in the draft. And if you're really into like picking out the next white receiver that Bill Belichick's just going to pick and plug in as a punt returner and then eventually will take on like a slot role and suddenly you'll be like, oh, this guy's like the next Wes Welker slash Julian Edelman. That's probably Brayton Covey, who is like, as a receiver, fine. Like does the little things, was a safety blanket most of the time, just running kind of short crosser routes, catching them, taking them, getting yards after catch. But he is like an explosive return man. If you've watched the Rose Bowl, you know what I'm talking about. He had legitimately electric returns like four or five times a year. Every year he was at Utah and he played for, for Utah for like six years. Like this guy's been in college forever. He's really old. I think he's like 25. He's probably a guy that's not getting drafted, but like undrafted free agent. Like you'll probably, my bet would be, you'll, it's much more likely you'll know who Brayton Covey is within three years than it is Devin Tompkins because I just feel like someone's going to take a chance on him. He's going to like work out in the weight room a lot, put on some pounds and become like a dynamic return specialist, basically. I think you're aiming a little too low for that in terms of Bill Belichick's next white wide receiver savior, Eric. You need to look at Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati, man. That is the supreme white wide receivers pinnacle for Bill Belichick, man. Okay. You you're, you're you're aiming too low there, too low there. But I I like well, I'm, I like I'm also Covey. just a Brenton Covey fan, so I got yeah. I have to stand for my Utah guys. Come on now. Of course, look, I like Covey too. I remember he had that putt return. I believe it was against Oregon just before halftime in that primetime game. Electric, electric. That was literally when I texted you, and I was like, I've never I never thought a Utah game could get that crazy. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's literally the one time I remember. Dude, Covey. I you like, I, let me just give. Let me just give our national audience a hot tip. Utah this next year, tune in. They're going to be insane again. They returned pretty much everyone on offense. Cam Rising is like a very good college quarterback and might take a next step where people start talking about him as like a late day two pro prospect. So Utah is also going to be explosive this year. Just want to throw that out. Keep track of Utah. Plus, they're always on at like 8 p.m., so they're never up against any other games. You can watch the SEC, and you can still watch every Utah game, you know? So just just a shout-out to my boys at Utah, alma mater, baby. <laughs> um, all right. Um, Brian, why don't you wrap us up with, like, maybe a guy you're not as high on as some people are. 
Yeah, sure. Actually, uh, one guy we kind of talked about before we started recording that is getting a lot of buzz in the first round, but not necessarily a guy that I'm as high on is uh, Drake London from USC. Uh, I think that Drake London offers a lot of good things. He, first and foremost, he's 6'5", so obviously you like seeing that size. And I do think he's a very athletic player as well. Does have a lot of good ability to go up and get the ball as well as make plays after the catch as well. I think this is a player I would be comfortable taking in the first round, but I think I've seen some other people a little higher on London than I am. I don't necessarily think I would take him anywhere in the top 15, uh, but I have seen him mocked there quite a bit. Uh, some of the other receivers we touched on earlier, guys like Williams, Wilson, Burks, Olave uh, are all a couple of guys that I would take ahead of Drake London. So nothing against him entirely. I'm just a little bit lower on Drake London than the general consensus. Yeah, he's like not special athletically, but can go up and make the contested catches and stuff. Um, he's fine, but like, yeah, I don't know. He's fine. I, I, I don't really get excited either by him. Um, all right. Before we go, do you guys want to play um, a fun game of Eric's pulled up a mock draft simulator? Let's simulate, let's say, the top 10 picks of the draft really quick and see where we all stand today. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Jacksonville Jaguars, who who are they taking? First overall? Yeah. Man, I'm seeing a lot of Evan Neal lately. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm thinking right now, even though for most of the year I was still thinking that uh, it would be either Thibodeau or Hutchinson. What do you still think, think Trey? I still think it's going to be Hutchinson at this point because they just tagged Cam Robinson and a lot of the mainstream guys who are connected to this that I will ever be and hope to be because draft is a – pain and i mean an absolute pain to keep up with you know that's probably me being lazy but uh those people have said hutchinson still for number one but evan neal uh that tackle out of uh north carolina state um i don't know it's it seems like that avenue has so many options that you really just can't pinpoint one until you get a concrete answer in all honesty so we just go with evan neal here you we think yeah, that's probably safe for me. Okay. Ryan, how much do you know about offensive linemen? Or am I going to have to find a different draft expert for when we want to talk about offensive linemen? No, I've watched my fair share of the old linemen this year. Okay, cool. I, I also kind of want to see if I can get on this um, guy that we've been talking that, that I was talking about earlier who played in the NFL just because I think that would be fun. Um but that'll be sometime later. By the way, I think we're taking a break from draft stuff next week. We're going to just release uh, two free agency shows and talk about where players land in free agency. So that's kind of our update for that. So Evan Neal, one overall, two will go Aiden Hutchinson, right? That's kind of a consensus here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Three, the Texans. Who the Texans taking, Trey? Jeez, man, they need everything. Like a couple months ago, people would have said Thibodeau. Um, if we're going Evan Neal one, Hutchinson at two, I'll probably go and I, I don't want to butcher his name since I, I, I'm not even going to say it. I don't want to butcher it. Uh, that tackle from uh, North Carolina State, it's getting a lot of buzz. 
uh, ever since the draft circulation sort of period started. So I'll go with that tackle out of North Carolina State. Ikem Ikwanwu, is yeah. that correct? Yes. Ikwanwu. Yes, that is it. Ikwanwu, got it. See, I got it first try. I'm very impressed with myself. The Jets. Jets at, Jets at four. Who are they taking? Oof. Oh, yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, I think the Jets are another team that it's just like, hey, they need a lot of help. So uh, I think offensive line is something that I can see the Jets considering, you know, going with. I know we've uh, already had a Kwanu and uh, Neil go off the board at this point, but uh, I think the next best tackle for me is Charlie Cross from Mississippi State. Um, I think that at least if it were my shoes and I had just, you know, previously taken a rock solid tackle with uh, Makai Becton, obviously, over there. I would love to have two of them. I think that, you know, shoring up your offensive The lead draft uh, analyst, Daniel Jeremiah. Plus, so, plus, I'll go with uh, Charlie Cross for uh, for this one for the Jets. Plus, uh, Becton um, is, like, in a weird limbo where people don't know if he'll play next year or not, and there's, like, some character questions. And I don't know if you've seen that, Ryan, but, like, He's like on kind of the outs with the Jets right now. So yeah. that's something to keep an eye on. But I'd agree. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably take a tackle. Okay, the New York Giants. You want to take this one, Eric? You know, I, I, I will. They could do a lot. Um, but, I mean, if Kayvon Thibodeau is there at five, I feel like that's an option, right? But. They also need offensive line help. At that point, you kind of got Trevor Penning, I guess. I, I don't know that much about him. Kenyon Green, people seem to be high on him out of yeah. Texas A&M. You could kind of plug and play him anywhere. And they seem to be all in on Daniel Jones. So I feel like if you're going to roll with Daniel Jones again, you absolutely just have to put the best of the best around him. So let's just say Kenyon Green. Um. The Panthers are reported that they are going to take an offensive tackle no matter what, but if this were the case, they'd be hard-pressed, I guess. So should we take, should we follow reports and say offensive tackle no matter what, or should we go somewhere else here? I think maybe you can entertain a trade-down possibility with this. Just throw out a random team that probably want to trade up for a quarterback or a corner. Let's keep this simple for right now so we can just do the exercise. Okay. Okay. Sorry, that sounded mean. I no, just don't, no, I, I totally I, understand, dude. <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't want to have to go through proposing a trade on this website. So. Like, I totally understand, dude. <laughs> uh, so, I, I don't know. What, what do you think here, Ryan? Do you think they go best player available or, or offensive line? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, lately with how Carolina has kind of been constructing things, they've been going heavy on the defensive side. They've got a ton of early uh, draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. So, um, I mean, at this point, the fact that Kayvon Thibodeau would, would still be there for us at this point in the mock draft, I think this would be a, a solid fit for Carolina to just continue to bolster it up, give myself another fire edge rusher opposite Brian Burns and uh, really just trying to wreak havoc on the defensive side. They also have Derek Brown on the defensive line. who was another high first-round pick. And uh, J.C. Horn, a, a former first-round pick corner so i think there's a lot to like with the carolina defense so i would just continue to build on it and go with thibodeau there so you go thibodeau or do you go corner i i would go thibodeau i think that uh okay. at this point i would uh i would go with thibodeau to get me a, a nice edge rusher opposite brian burns all right giants up here uh 
do they go corner or do they go a wide receiver here or, or an edge? What are we thinking? Do they particularly need another corner, in all honesty? I mean, yeah, I think I, they could use some more depth there. Okay, well, they do need a corner. Um, then I'd probably go Sauce Gardner, a uh, corner out of uh, Cincinnati. is a guy, you know, coming from Cincinnati, a group of five school that's really maintained his status. Is one of the best players in this draft um, throughout the draft, well, throughout the early draft process. So I, Sauce Gardner might just be the pick there you know, in my opinion, for this sort of mock draft. Yeah, I'm with that. I can do that. Sauce Gardner goes to the Giants, the Falcons on the clock. They need a corner as well, don't they? Yeah, and I think uh, Derek Stangley would definitely be a good one for them at, uh, at this point. Perfect. Okay, we'll go Derek Stangley. All right, Seahawks, here we go. Here's the big question. So do they go best player available or do they go quarterback? What do you guys think? Ryan, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah, sure, yeah. I I think for me, if I'm Seattle here, you know, at nine, I think we're starting to approach a territory where if you would really like to develop, um, say, a guy like Malik Willis, I think that that could start to get some consideration considering you got Drew Locke. It isn't necessary that Willis would have to start right away, but I think they could consider developing him and going with Willis here. So I think this is where we start to get into some quarterback consideration. Uh, Matt Corral is definitely another guy uh, as well as Kenny Pickett. But uh, I think for me with Seattle, you know, obviously they just made the big move. Seems like they're going to be in a rebuild for a little bit here. And uh, I think bolstering up the line of scrimmage is definitely a great place to start i think that seattle really likes going after guys that have just freak athletic abilities so i think a guy like trevor penning from northern iowa or a guy like trayvon walker from georgia who are maybe a little bit more raw but have crazy athletic ability is something that i could see seattle targeting here so um, just for the sake of this i'll go with uh with trayvon walker from georgia uh the defensive end who uh, i think may be a, a solid pick for seattle here all right jets at 10 I'm just going to take over here because I cannot see this man fall out of the top 10. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. Kyle Hamilton. This guy's my boy. Been watching a lot of Kyle Hamilton highlights recently. Man can absolutely ball everywhere. The Jets are about to lose Marcus May in free agency. Draft Kyle Hamilton. Fill that hole. All right. So our top, our, uh, our, our mock draft is complete. Our top 10. Thanks, guys. I know that was a little longer. I'm going to take a picture of this right now and post it on the End Zone Pod Twitter and make a little edit here. Crop this down so it looks a little neater. And there it is. Cool. Dope. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. Ryan, appreciate your time. Trey, uh, I hate to break it to you, but the next week is going to be um, crazy for us because I'm going to be working March Madness at my work and also trying to figure out how to do this podcast successfully. And that might require some times where we start at like 10 p.m. Mountain Time. And if that's too late, please let me know immediately and I'll get Donnie and or Ryan people who 
don't have to go to school anymore to maybe <laughs> uh, to maybe jump in and do some late night podcasting with me. But we've got some free agency coming up yeah. and uh, that's going to be exciting. So expect to hear from us. Uh, free agency opens on what? Wednesday, right? Yeah. Well, the legal tampering. Doesn't the legal tampering period begin Monday? And the free agency opens Wednesday or am I wrong? I believe that's right, yeah. Okay, well then we'll definitely record something late Monday uh, because that'll be that'll be doable. So yeah, let's definitely because also, what time does the legal tampering period open on Monday? Midnight. It's usually like late, doesn't it? Like, really, it opens like real late or early. I'll have to look that up though. Okay, if uh, it's if it's early in the day, we'll do it then. If not, plan on hearing from us on Tuesday. Um, we'll we'll get into when because you know all the deals come out before they're completely done. We we all know this, so yep, that'll be that'll be cool. And then. Uh, yeah, Ryan, hopefully next time we get you on, we'll be talking about some free agency winners and losers after free agency is all settled down. And then we'll we'll get back to it. Let's make an executive decision now. What what do we want to talk about? What position group do you want to talk about next? Oh man, I mean, uh still a lot of going. Do you know actually my uh my favorite position to scout this year has been cornerback. There's a, a okay. ton of really good corners in this year's class. So I think that could be a fun one to hit next. Cool. We will do cornerbacks next. That'll probably be in about two weeks. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. We'll get back to draft after free agency week. But free agency week, we're going to focus on free agency. And, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden we'll be in April and things will be kind of dead again. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot, of, a lot of NFL news. So we appreciate everyone sticking with us for this hour and a half long podcast. We do – Truly appreciate you, the listeners. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? And then let's get out of here. Yeah, for sure. Definitely give me a shout on Twitter. You can follow me there at Roadkill823. Definitely a fun nickname of mine. That's my Twitter account. Definitely give me a shout on there. Love talking hockey, football, baseball, whatever's going on. Definitely give me a follow on there and uh, and say what's up. Love recording podcasts. Love coming on here. Record a couple of my own, Roadie on the Horn and Front Office You. Both of those available on Spotify as well. So definitely give those a shout if uh, if you enjoyed listening to me talk with uh, with the boys. It was always fun. So thanks again for having me, guys. No worries. All right, Trey. Thanks for the time. We will see you guys next week for free agency. Peace out.